Hello, everybody. Bonjour tout le monde. As you can see, I am still here at home in isolation, as are many of you. Uh, we have been working to get our son home because he goes to school in the United States, and we needed to get him safely back here to Canada. And then my father and stepmother just arrived from Florida, and so now, finally, our whole family is back in, in New Brunswick. And that's why for the safety of others, we are still here in home isolation. Uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting, we are even having groceries delivered to the house. And do you know what that says to me? It is a reminder of the necessity of community. It is a reminder of how much we need each other, how much we need our neighbors. And so thank you to all the wonderful people of the church and our city who are coming together right now. And you know, one of the really cool things is all throughout the Maritimes, we've been hearing more and more stories of how Jesus is using his church to make a difference in Eastern Canada. Uh, last Sunday, we had people, folks who had not been to church in years, not in decades, but they joined us on the live stream last week I've been hearing about how many of you have been inviting friends and families to enjoy us uh, online. To, you've been sharing those invites on, on social media and telling your family members. Uh, my wife has a friend and her husband who have not connected with a church in forever, but they were with us online last week for the very first time. We're so glad to see you. Uh, and so if you are new Maybe you could go to mw.church slash connect card right now and let us know. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. You know, Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And guess what? I think that that even includes doing church online. And I wonder if this is a special season where God wants to use technology for his glory. Maybe God's spirit is moving us and forcing churches to connect with people in new ways, to prepare for a new generation. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 and 5 says, God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth, which is this. There is only one God, and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. You see, God's heart longs to reach every person with the good news, the gospel of salvation. We have a partner, Wesleyan Church, a brand new church that started in rural Nova Scotia, way out on the Digby Neck, literally on the road to nowhere. And this brand new church is in a town with less than 100 people. And so last week, they did their very first ever online service, just like a lot of churches. It was their very first time ever doing Sunday online. And get this, here's what's cool. They had more people on their live stream than they had ever had in church before. In fact, there were more people online with them this last Sunday 
than the whole town has for a population. The pastor's name is Tim Long. So let's just say, way to go, Pastor Tim. And so one of the people who joined them online for the very first time was an old friend of Pastor Tim's who lives in Halifax. And so this guy in Halifax sees that service on Facebook, and, and don't miss that, that's important. It makes a difference when you share and invite people to church, even online church. And so he decides to watch the live stream. And last Sunday, this guy prayed to receive Christ and surrendered to Jesus. Why? Because he watched this tiny little church do a live stream way out on the Digby Neck in Nova Scotia. Listen, I don't care who you are. Don't tell me God can't use you. No matter what your position or your title or how much or how little influence you think you have, Jesus can use you to make a difference. And no matter how horrible this situation is in our world right now, God can use this for His glory as well, to shake us out of our comfort zones, to trust in Him, to think outside of the box and look at new and creative ways to get outside the walls of our church buildings. Christians, we're never just called to come to church. We are called to be the church. Amen? I wish I could hear you right now out there in your living room or wherever you are. Can I get an amen? Let me say it again. We are called not just to come to church. We are called to be the church. And so today, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament. Are you ready to study God's Word? We're in the book of Psalms today. If you want to look that up in your Bible or the Bible app on your phone or online, we are in Psalm 3 today. And this is from the life of the great King David. And David is in a time of desperation in his life. He feels like the world is closing in on him. He no longer feels safe. Everything in David's life looks like it is about to come crumbling down. He's afraid that he can no longer protect his own family and friends. And people in his city are afraid and they don't know what to do. Can I just ask, does that sound familiar for us? Maybe you feel like the world is closing in right now. And maybe you're afraid that you won't be able to protect your friends and family. Are you afraid that everything in your life right now is in danger of crumbling down? Well, listen, that is exactly why we are going to look at this time in the life of King David. And it was in this season of great crisis and fear that we find this powerful prayer from King David. So let's start Psalm 3, beginning in verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear 
Though tens of thousands assail me on every side, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, the book of Psalms is filled with powerful prayers like this. But here's what I want you to notice. That, that David's prayer is a little bit different from how we often pray. I mean, come on now, David doesn't hold anything back. Did you notice he says some things here that kind of make us a little uncomfortable? Maybe he says things here that seem inappropriate. For example, did anyone get uncomfortable in verse 7 when David said, Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute if a pastor got up in church and prayed, Oh, Lord, I pray against everyone out there who is against me. Lord, I just pray that you would bust them in the teeth today in the name of Jesus. That's not very nice, is it? Now, did David really want God to break the teeth of those who oppose him? Well, first, we need to understand who was David's enemy in this prayer. That's the first thing you need to ask. Who was David's enemy in this prayer? Well, if you look in your Bible back to the top of Psalm 3, in most translations, notice right before verse 1, it says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And so in this prayer, his enemy is Absalom, his very own son. See, what had happened is Absalom had risen up against his own father. He wanted to kill King David and take over the kingdom. And so Absalom came to Jerusalem with an army. He was on his way with weapons and swords, chariots and bows. He was coming to kill his father. And so did David really want God to punch his son in the mouth and bust out all his teeth? Does David really want his enemy to be completely destroyed? Well, see, listen, here's what you need to understand. Whenever you read the Bible, you have to interpret it in context. And so if you want to read this whole story, you have to go to 2 Samuel. S Psalms has some of David's prayers, but 2 Samuel tells you the story of what's going on. You find that later on in the story, Absalom does die. And as King David uh, learns that his son has died, his enemy has died, is he happy about it? Is this really what he wanted? Does he rejoice on the grave of his enemy? No. In 2 Samuel 19, verse 4, the king covered his face and cried aloud, My son, oh my son, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. And then, then Joab, a military officer, went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men, David, who, who have who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. Joab said, you love those who hate you. See, Joab is angry here because David loved his enemy so much, he did not want Absalom to die. 
And so in this prayer, in Psalm 3, when David prays, strike my enemies, knock out all their teeth, David is speaking in his, in his pain, he's hurting, he's afraid, he is under attack. And I think that he is just being real and honest with the emotions that he is, is feeling, frankly, in a way that many of us are not good at doing. Because I think in our culture, we tend to respond to crisis and fear in one of two common paths. On the one hand, false religious piety says you need to deny your feelings. But then on the other hand, faithless emotional abandon says you need to obey your feelings. And so let's talk about that. Sometimes religious folks say you need to deny your feelings, and sometimes the world says you need to obey your feelings. And right now in this world, I think we see people in both camps. There are some Christians out there who are like, hey, we need to get together in large groups no matter what the government says. And they, they cross the line from fearlessness into foolishness. They say, hey, the devil can't get us. Christians can't get sick. Don't take any precautions. If you get sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you're afraid, it's because you don't have enough faith. But listen, that is a false religious piety when you deny the facts, when you deny reality, and it's saying that we need to deny our feelings. But then our culture tends to do the exact opposite. We live in a world that for the last generation has been declaring that feelings are facts, that feelings are the most important thing. There's been this rising movement in the last decade that says feelings are more important than science. How you feel is more important than faith or biology or reason or history or anything else. And so we see these two paths where some religious folks are saying, deny your feelings. And we live in a culture that's saying you need to just obey your feelings. But I think that what we find in the Bible is actually a third path. And this is so good. Listen, where instead of denying your feelings, and instead of obeying your feelings, what David says is to pray your feelings. Be honest with God. Don't hold anything back. Be honest with God about how you are feeling right now in the midst of this crisis. You know, I have two children, uh, and it was an amazing experience to be in the delivery room when they were born. Now, I didn't have nearly as much to do with it as Tracy did. I admit that. But it was my privilege to see their face even before their mother did. And I want to ask, what emotions do baby have when they first enter the world? Does a baby come out asking deep philosophical questions about the nature of the universe? No. When a baby is born, when they come out, what are they doing? What's the first thing they do? Cry. And why are they crying? Is a baby expressing existential sorrow and grief? Is a baby expressing anger or love? I don't think so. I think the first feeling a baby experiences is fear. I mean, they've been thrust out of the safety and comfort and security of their mother's womb. And all of a sudden, here they are in a hospital room with blinding light. You know, why is it so cold? Why are there people with masks handing me around the room? Why are these doctors and nurses being so mean to me? 
Now they're not, of course, but that's what it feels like for a baby. Because all of a sudden, they have lost the only thing they have ever known, the warmth and safety and security of a mother's womb. In an instant, all of that has been stripped away. So a baby's first emotion is to cry out in fear and confusion. And here David is is crying out because literally he has armies that are coming to attack him. And he's honest with God about how he is feeling. He doesn't deny his emotions to God. He doesn't obey his emotions. He prays his emotions to God. And in this prayer, David makes a declaration. Look at verse 6. David says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Don't don't miss this. David is honest about his fear, but he does not surrender to his fear. And that's what we need to understand today. You can be honest with God about your emotions without surrendering to your emotions. And so look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And maybe you also have some people in your life right now who are criticizing you for your faith. Just like David, maybe you have people who are saying that you are silly right now for putting your trust in God. But notice David's response. In verse 3 and 4, David prays three things. First, he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. Now, there were different kinds of shields in the ancient world. And what we tend to think of are the shields that you see in movies, you know, like Robin Hood, kind of something like this. But that is not what David is describing here. He says, The Lord is a shield that what? That surrounds me. Now, what is he talking about? Well, there was a specific kind of shield in the ancient world, and I want to show you a picture here. This is a surrounding shield. It was tall enough that you could hide your entire body down behind it, and then it curved around you on both sides as well. And so here's what I want you to to, to not miss. There are only two ways a surrounding shield can do its job. Number one, you have to stand your ground. If you try to run away, the shield cannot protect you. If you retreat, if you give up, if you try to go back to where you used to be, your backside is exposed to the arrows of the enemy. The only way to stay protected is to keep pushing forward. And I'm here to tell you, listen, in this season of great fear, number one is, You need to stand your ground. Hold on. Stand firm. Don't run away. Trust God to be your surrounding shield. But here's the second thing. Number two, a surrounding shield could only do its job if you stand shoulder to shoulder with your fellow soldiers. Do you see in this picture how the shield was designed to lock in side by side with the soldiers around you. And so what that means is, if you break rank, if you don't stay together with the people God has given you, the shield cannot protect you. Folks, it is when we stand together 
as a community, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, together. That is how the shield of the Lord surrounds us. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And that's a reminder of the value of community right now. And maybe some of you need to get connected in spiritual community. If you'd like to be part of a new online small group uh, where we get together and we study the Bible and care for one another and encourage each other spiritually and hold each other accountable and pray for one another, just go to mw.church/groups. And we'll put you on the list as we get ready to launch new online small groups. Amongst all of our ministries right now, you know, with adults and Celebrate Recovery and student ministries, we've been working hard to get close to 60 groups fully functional online this week. And once we get all those ones moving forward, our next goal is to start new groups that you can be part of. So just sign up here to get on the list when those start soon. Okay, back to verse 3. For you, O Lord, are a shield around me. And next David says, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Who is my glory? I want you to notice that my glory is not in my job. It's not in my family. It's not in my health or wealth. My glory is not in what other people think about me. Where is my glory? David says, it is in you, O Lord. And so all of a sudden, David has come to this point in his life where he is in danger of losing everything. All the stuff that he has built his identity on, his reputation, his popularity, his money, his security, all of it is being stripped away. And in that moment, David realizes that God is all he has left. And that's what we need to understand today. When it seems like everything else in your life is being stripped away, when it seems that God is all you have, that's when you realize that God is all you need. And so in verse 3 and 4, David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me. Let me ask, who are you crying out to? You know, our government is doing its best right now. And we need to pray for our government leaders. This, the Bible tells us to do so, but you know what? They don't have all the answers. We need to pray for our, our health administrators and, and medical staff and health care workers, but we can't expect them to have all the answers. You could call out to an economist and members of parliament about lost jobs and the economy and what are we going to do, but listen, they don't have all the answers. Because, my friend, who is it that we call out to today? Who is the only one who can answer us? David says, we call out to the Lord, and He answers us from His holy hill. Now, don't misunderstand, though. God's answer in your life does not mean that you will always be healthy and wealthy, and the things of life will always be easy for you. 
See, people out there who tell you that following Jesus means that you will be protected from pain and hurt in this world, you need to know they're lying to you. That is a false gospel. Jesus never promised to protect us from the pain of this world. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus said that we live in a fallen world and that we should expect to experience hurt. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. And so here's the difference for us as Christians. As Christians, we are not afraid because this is nothing more than our temporary home. This world is not our final destination. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is where? Everybody say it with me. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 from the Message Translation. Let me read it to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we are not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are, are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade. And we will never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for less. And so as a Christian, don't deny your feelings. Don't ignore all the, the warnings and deny reality. We are doing this home isolation and social distancing thing, not because we're afraid, it's not because of fear, but because of love for protecting others. And also, unlike the world, don't just obey your feelings. Don't just give in to them. See, as Christians, we are not driven by feelings. We are driven by faith in the promises of the Lord. And so that's why we pray our feelings. You can be honest with God. You see, in this time, you need to know that He is here, that God is present in our sufferings. 
whether things get better or whether things get worse, I am here to tell you God has not forgotten you. He is here for you, ready to meet you right now, wherever you are. Would you join me in prayer? Just right wherever you are right now, if we could just focus on God as we come to him and say, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your word. We love your word. It is nourishment for our souls. It directs us and, and refocuses us and gives us the wisdom that we need for our lives. And right now, we thank you for the example of David in this time of crisis, in his time of desperation, when his world seemed to be falling apart. He declared his faith in you. He said, I will not fear, even though 10,000 attack me. He said, I know that the Lord is a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I call out to him and he answers me. And so, Lord, we call out to you today, whatever people are experiencing out there right now in this moment, we call out to you that you would be present for them in this time of need. As we draw near to you, your word says that you draw near to us. And so, Lord, I, I pray right now for anybody who's not yet made a decision for Jesus. And if you're out there right now and you have not yet prayed to receive Christ, if you've been living for yourself, but today, in this time where the world seems to be falling apart, you realize how much you need God, even though you've been running away from him. Listen, right now, would you just join me in prayer? If you're ready to surrender to him and just say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I receive his gift of forgiveness, and I commit to follow him for the rest of my life. I want to follow you, God. Come in and change me from the inside out. I want to be your child. I want to be part of your family, part of your church. And so, I surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh man, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. And I just want to ask you right now, if you go to our website, mw.church/connectcard, check the box that says, I have decided to follow Jesus today. And if you do that, we want to reach out to you this week. We want to get you uh, some help to get started on your journey. And, and, and in just a few minutes, I'm going to come back and share some more important stuff with you at the end. So please don't leave. Right now, together, let's lift our voices in worship as we declare our praise, our trust, our relationship with Him. Let's lift our voices now.